Welcome back to The Shelf Oddities. My name is Eerie. And I'm Serafina. And the oddity I'm feeling like today is an old terracotta sun that you like hang up on the side of your garage, just like baking in it, you know? What oddity are you feeling like? I feel like, you know, when an animal gets caught in between the opening of a door and it dies, it's just really smushed. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. Preferably like a frog. So like I'm also really dried out. Hmm. I got smushed. you. Yeah. Hmm. Well. So you're just you're feeling great, huh? <laughs> I'm feeling so great. How about you? What have you been up to? Um. You know, I've just been chilling. Uh. I mean, we had an awesome weekend. I actually saw you this weekend. Yeah, we hung Whoa. out. Um. And other than that, I've just been hanging out. I actually, last year, in our first episodes, I was gifted, like, 25 Dahlia tubers. You remember this? Yes, I remember. So, last week, a different woman, who is basically, like, my gardening mentor, has been for a long time, she showed up at my house and gave me, like, 100 Dahlia tubers. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, it's been a lot. I'm about to go on vacation. So I was like tidying up my garden and like trying to make sure everything was like in the ground and everything where it's need to be. So like I could leave and not feel bad. And then she showed up and was like, do you want these? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess. So yeah. So I basically have like a bona fide, uh, Dahlia farm now, which is really fun. I'm excited. There's so many different things that I've never grown before that she's just like, here, have, here's, here's seven of this one type you've never seen. Good luck. <laughs> so, all right. it cool. Good. To, it's good to be me. I'm excited. Um, dahlias are something I never thought I'd see myself growing that many of. And then I slowly fell in love with them. And for last year to have such a huge dahlia year, and then this year, it's going to be insane. Even bigger. I'm really, I'm, yeah, I'm really pumped about it. And then of course, that means next year is going to be even crazier because who knows the next time someone's going to hand me a box <laughs> of Dahlia tubers and just like have have a go. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be really fun. I think this year I set forth with bringing a lot of color into my garden. Um, I'm typically someone who likes a very set color scheme. It's the tism where I'm like, this is the color I like and I'm going to do. I all burgundy that. here yeah like i'm just very much i like what i like and this year with all the health problems i've been having i've just wanted an explosion of fucking color i want every color i want it all over the fucking place it's pride but no i'm just kidding <laughs> it's not like that it's just i i just need to see the beautiful things in this life and i do that i feel like enough to like keep myself alive but I I have felt very drawn. So this year I've put up like a giant fence that has like a bunch of different like pretty things that aren't just edible things to sustain us, but things that sustain our hearts instead. And I'm really excited. So, yeah, she was like, here you go. And I think it's probably over 100. I'm telling you, she handed me 15 to 16 varieties and most of them had multiples in them. So I'm like, this is going to be a journey. Luckily... I have a lot of people in my life who do also like to grow things. So for the people who are watching our animals while we are away, they're all getting like Dahlia gift bags or like thank <laughs> you bags, um, which I'm excited about. 
uh, to see them grow stuff too, because some of them are getting stuff I've never seen either. So it's all kind of a smorgasbord of fun stuff like that. Um, speaking of my health, we only have like four chances a month to talk to you guys like so directly. And um, I figured I would give a small health update, which is I'm on meds <laughs> and they're, they seem to be doing okay. I haven't needed a blood transfusion or, you know, anything else since the last time. So I think I'm doing okay. I feel, I feel okay. We're about to go on vacation and I'm not scared because I was like a month ago, I was in the hospital <laughs> getting a blood transfusion and I was like, well, we'll see what happens. And my whole family was very kind to me and was really like, we will reschedule the trip. We'll do whatever. And I was like, I need a trip. Like, I need to get out of here for like 20 <laughs> seconds, please. And um, so we kept it at the same time. And I th I think we'll be OK. I'm, I'm excited to get out and go do something. Will it be weird to leave my house for a week? Yeah, 1000 percent. But we're going to, you know, a place that I'm very excited for. So I'm hopeful. Question mark. <laughs> Fingers crossed, question mark. Fingers crossed. Um, and then lastly, there has been a book that's taken over TikTok called Fourth Wing. And every fucking time I finish a book that I'm obsessed with, I tell I tell I tell our oddlings because I hope that someone picks it up so I have someone to talk to <laughs> about it. It's a one-off book. It's like 600 pages hardback or like in in an actual book it's like 700 or 800 pages on like a kindle it's amazing it's so good it's so much fun if you're someone who likes fantasy likes draggings likes romance you know that kind of stuff like but in like a the whole tagline is um uh, a dragon without its writer is devastated a writer without its dragon is dead Right, right. So, like, it's, like, super intense from the very get-go. But there's also the main character is, like, chronically ill. And, uh, you know, as someone who's chronically ill, I was like, hell yeah, girl. Like, get on that dragon. Let's do this shit. So, um, it's just really fun. And I, on TikTok, it's not just, like, women reading it, right? Like, it's, like, taking over, like, the whole literacy side. And it's really good. So, if you're looking for a fun, quick read. I read it in 12 hours. <laughs> I read it in 12 hours. I picked not it up. Didn't put it down. It was it was so good. Yeah, I read it in 12 hours. So if you're a quick reader and you want something quick to read for the summer, have at it. It's really good. So today's episode will be a double feature. Firstly, I want to wish everyone a happy Letha or summer solstice. Um, I've always heard it pronounced Litha. So if it's pronounced Litha later because I say it a bunch, my bad. Uh, we will end this episode talking about witchcraft. But before we get into that, I want to talk about some important gay history. We had planned out this month's episodes, and I didn't want to focus too much on pride because we're proud every day to be gay. True. <laughs> but I didn't want to let this month pass without focusing on some type of gay history. And like with all gay history, it's fucking dark. So strap in. So today for our first feature, let's get out our history textbooks and turn back to 1912. In London, England, a small bouncing baby boy named Alan Turing has been born. Alan would be raised in southern England near Sherborne. During this time, he would form a significant friendship with a fellow pupil, Christopher Colin Morcom, uh, who was described as Turing's first love. 
This relationship provided endeavors and Turing's future endeavors, but it was cut short by Morecambe's death. In February 1930, he passed away from complications of bovine tuberculosis. What? Yeah, he contracted it after drinking infected cow's milk some years previously. What the fuck? Yeah, so when, like, people, like, you see, like, people on TikTok who are like, they won't let us drink cow's milk, blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's because, like, literal, like, people died from, like, years later. Yeah, you can get TB from drinking raw cow's milk. And that's coming from someone who's, like, made cheese out of raw cow milk. Like, I'm not against it, but, like, you got to, like, really know what you're getting at, you know? This event, of course, caused Turing great sorrow. Uh, He coped with his grief by working that much harder on the topics of science and mathematics that he had shared with Morecambe. Uh, In a letter to Morecambe's mother, uh, Frances, who who Alan really stayed close with even after the death, like this was clearly a, a key person in his life. He wrote, I am sure I could not have found anywhere another companion so brilliant and yet so charming and unconceited. I regarded my interest in my work and in such things as astronomy, to which he introduced me, as something to be shared with him, and I think he felt a little the same about me. I know I must put as much energy, if not as much interest, into my work as if he were alive, because that is what he would like me to do. So, he would go off to study at Cambridge College. He would gain a PhD in mathematics and would take a specific interest in theoretical computer science. He would actually go on to be regarded as the father of theoretical computer science and artificial intelligence. We love a STEM queen, you know. During World War II, Turing worked for Britain's codebreaking center that produced ultra intelligence. For a time, he led a team called Hut 8. This section was responsible for German naval cryptanalysis. So... He was very important, right? Super smart man. Yeah, super smart man who spent all of his grief pouring into doing what he could. Um, A man named Peter Hilton actually worked for Turing in HUD 8. And in his, uh, like, reminiscence is what they call it, but I assume it's kind of like an autobiography. He wrote, It is a rare experience to meet an authentic genius. Those of us privileged to inhabit the world of scholarship are familiar with the intellectual stimulation furnished by talented colleagues, which already like the first sentence (laughs) used in 50 cent words every day. We can admire the ideas they share with us and are usually able to understand their source. We may even often believe that we ourselves could have created such concepts and originated such thoughts. However, the experience of sharing the intellectual life of a genius is entirely different. One realizes that one is in the presence of an intelligence, a sensibility of such profundity and originality that one is filled with wonder and excitement. Alan Turing was such a genius, and those like myself who had the astonishing and unexpected opportunity created by the strange extensions of the Second World War To be able to count Turing as a colleague and friend will never forget that experience, nor can we ever lose its immense benefit to us. So there's a lot of words to say, like, he was awesome and I loved working with him and he was he was just the smartest dude around. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten genius. Yeah, we love. So while he was in Hut 8 working with Peter Hilton, uh, he devised a number 
techniques for speeding the breaking of German ciphers, including improvements to the pre-war Polish Bomba method, um, which is basically like an uh, electromechanical machine that could find settings for cracking codes. Turing played a critical role in cracking intercepted coded messages that enabled the Allies to defeat the Axis powers in many crucial engagements. If it wasn't for him, I don't want to say they would have lost the war, but like genuinely he was so fast at cracking this and then they'd change it, right? Because they'd be like, oh, someone found out that our submarines would be here and he would turn around and crack that shit too. And it wasn't even like hard. Like he was so smart that he was like, well, they're doing this. It's like, oh, well, it's like me with my pattern recognition. Like (laughs) it's like the same idea of like, oh, no, he going to do that. And then they did that. And he was like, look, got him. Like just a genius person. He had some quirks. Um, Someone actually wrote another reminiscence, as they call them, and talked about how he did some weird shit. Like he chained his mug to the radiator so like no one would steal it. I mean, fair. When you have a good mug, yeah. I understand. That's what I'm saying. Like he, but like you know, and like and, and during this time, it was like he was just like very like he knew who the fuck he was, basically, and like he was very much like I'm a genius. I'm not here to fuck around and find out. I'm here to get my job done, and like we're all gonna work hard as fuck and get this shit together. Which it takes a gay, you know. It takes he a does. gay. Sometimes multiple, depending. Sometimes multiple, but he. He knew what the fuck he was doing. He was also a noted atheist. Some have speculated that Morecambe's death was actually the cause of that, of his atheism. Apparently at this point in his life, he had still believed in such concept as like spirit and independence of the body and surviving death. He actually wrote to Morecambe's mother much later after Morecambe had passed. He wrote, personally, I believe that the spirit is really internally connected with matter, but certainly not by the same kind of body. As regards the actual connection between spirit and body, I consider that the body can hold on to a spirit. Whilst the body is alive and awake, the two are firmly connected. When the body is asleep, I cannot guess what happens. But when the body dies, the mechanism of the body Holding the spirit is gone and the spirit finds a new body sooner or later, perhaps immediately. So like he was having like very deep conversations with the mother of like his ex-boyfriend because this death that happened so young in his life was very challenging. I mean, it, it really was something that blew his mind wide open from just mathematics to even like what is, you know, it's very interesting to see that that change in him. After the war, Turing worked for the National Physical Laboratory, where he designed one of the first designs for a stored program computer. In 1948, Turing joined Max Newman's Computing Machine Laboratory at the Victoria University of Manchester, where he helped develop the Manchester computers and became interested in mathematical biology, which is like a whole other (laughs) podcast we could do. He wrote a paper on the chemical bias of morphogenesis and predicted um, like chemical reactions that were uh, not even observed until the 1960s. So like he was writing in 1948 about things that were just in theory, something he could see happening. And then they they proved him right in the 1960s. So basically, this is one of England's smartest men. 
right? He was influent. He was influential in ways that have rippled everyday life. He basically, um, <laughs> he was the original Al Gore, and he like kind of like made the internet, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's not necessarily true. But he did lay some pretty important foundations. The weird thing is, though, is like during all of these accomplishments, he was never fully recognized in Britain during his lifetime because so much of his work was covered by the Official Secrets Act. So he was just like living his life, doing the damn thing. Um, But no one knew. No one knew who he was. No one knew any of this stuff because he was sworn to secrecy. And of course, uh, you know, the government doesn't want to tell people stuff. (laughs) What? The government? No. Uh, yeah, huh? What? So here's where things get dark. <laughs> Sorry, it was coming. Hello. In January of 1952, Turing met and started a relationship with a man named Arnold Murray. On the 23rd of January, Turing's house was burgled. Murray told Turing that the burglar was an acquaintance of his. So basically his new boyfriend's friend came and like robbed him in the middle of the night. No. And Turing reported it to the police. During the investigation, Turing acknowledged that he was in a relationship with Murray. So in 1952, being gay uh, is a crime. All right. So we've already, just so everyone's aware, in Britain's eyes, being gay was a disease right it was a sickness it was an ailment punishable by prison or other things which we'll get into so once charges were brought to him he was convinced by the advice of his brother and his own solicitor which is like a uk lawyer right uh he entered a a plea of guilty so he self he self-confessed right to a cop after he was robbed And then in the courts, everyone around him was like, well, might as well just say you're guilty. Right. So the case was brought to trial on March 31st of 1952. And Turing was convicted of being gay. And he was given a choice between imprisonment and probation. Probation would be conditional on his agreement to undergo hormonal treatment designed to reduce libido. No. Okay. Yeah. He accepted the option of treatment. He took probation and uh, he was given multiple injections of what was called then was called like stabestrol. It's now known as like DES. It's a synthetic oestrogen. So this treatment was continued for the course of one whole year. One whole year. That's a long time. That's a long fucking time. Uh, This treatment rendered Turing impotent, of course. That's exactly what it's designed to do. It also caused him to develop, uh, like, gynecomastia, which is basically, like, overdevelopment or, like, enlargement of breast tissues in men or boys, right? So, basically, they, like, transed him. (laughs) Like, which is, like, weird because they didn't do it in, like, well, you're in love with men, so, like... We're, we're gonna trans you so then you're like in the right place they like they literally thought i can't i can't even get into the thought process because it fucking enrages me 
But basically they were like, we're just going to give you the wrong hormone. So we completely fuck your body and like fuck up who you are. This wasn't done to be cure in a good way. This was a cure in a bad way. Right. Yeah. So before Turing had this happen to him, he had predicted like he should know, like no doubt from it all a different man, but quite who I've not found out. Like it literally caused him to be a different person physically and mentally because he was basically poisoned with hormones. The, the crazy part is Murray, the guy whose friend who there's a thought, there's a whole conspiracy that Murray was in on it or Murray was in on it. No. Uh, th- his friend, the one that robbed him and Murray, they were given a conditional discharge. So nothing happened to them. But, like, he admitted that he was gay with the guy, right? Mm -hmm. So why didn't that guy get in trouble? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, we don't know. Bunk. So bunk. Turing's conviction, of course, led to the removal of his security clearance and barred him from continuing with his cryptographic consultancy with the government. So the British Signals Intelligence Agency that had evolved, he was basically kicked out of that, right? Something he basically built. Um, And then they allowed him to keep his academic job, right? Yeah, so like you can still teach if you'd like, but you can't do anything for us anymore. And as you can imagine, every day was hard. (laughs) Every single day. I mean, you've been outed now. Um, Not that he necessarily was all of that secretive in the first place, but he was like officially outed. He was outed as a gay man and not as a war hero. Right. Like the the true secret at that time was that he was a fucking war hero, which is just fucking crazy to me. But the crazy thing is, is that he was actually also denied entrance into the United States after his conviction because, you know, we're just we were just as bad. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, not great. Um, He was never accused of espionage. He was never accused of anything terrible. The only thing that ever took him down was that he was gay. Two years later, Turing died on June 7th of 1954, 16 days before his 42nd birthday from cyanide poisoning. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, An inquest determined his death was a suicide, but it has been noted that the known evidence is also consistent with accidental poisoning as well. But also what's interesting is that there was a couple other people within the British timeline that also died of cyanide poisoning. So jury's out on that one seems a little sus but you know yeah um following a public campaign in 2009 the british prime minister gordon brown made an official public apology on behalf of the british government for the appalling way that turing was treated queen elizabeth ii granted him a pardon in 2013 the term the alan turing law is now used informally to refer to a 2017 law in the United Kingdom that retroactively pardoned men cautioned or convicted under historical legislation that outlawed homosexual acts. So the crazy thing about all of this is like the magistrates who sentenced him would have done nothing about his war service, right? It's that shit was kept under wraps. So they, he, he got no seniority. He got no, anything for that right um they would have in theory sentenced him to the treatment for his own good they thought that homosexuality was so abhorrent that the sufferer would be grateful once cured which is just fucking wild 
Don't you think? Yeah. Like, it's just so fucking sad. This is a man who spent, they went through his notes. He, he spent his time thinking and researching, like, can computers think? Like he that's how like he spent his working hours trying to trying to see if he could make artificial intelligence, trying to see if he could make the Internet, trying to see if there was a way to connect us all globally and and fixing math problems that had been stumping people for years and, and winning wars to make sure the Nazis didn't fucking take over and having consensual relationships. And they poisoned him with so many hormones. It changed him forever. Disgusting. It's disgusting. It literally, it's a pit in my stomach. And a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of people don't know that the reason, the foundations for our internet, the mathematics behind our internet, the mathematics for algorithms were all made by this man who they convicted of and then poisoned because he was in a consensual relationship with another man. Just for the crime of being gay. Pride Month started as a riot. And I think people have gotten like too comfortable in forgetting that. You know, like real people with real lives are destroyed by this kind of thinking. And in 2016, Britain, when they made this whole apology and then this Alan Turing law, they pardoned thousands of men who were arrested for the crime of being gay or bisexual. 2016, thousands thousands of men there was only one alan turing he's one of one it it just fucking blows my mind if you're interested in this story there are people in the community who have really recommended a movie called the imitation game benedict cumberbatch plays mr turing and apparently he does a really good job i haven't seen it i've known about alan turing for a really long time so i guess when it came out it just slipped my radar uh, but it won a bunch of awards and people in the scientific community and the gay community seem to really like it. So definitely check that out. But yeah, it's a story that really bothers me because it's common. We could put out an episode every day for a year and only touch 365 unique individuals that just like one country did, let alone this country, let alone countries that are still doing this type of shit. Yeah. And that's exhausting to think about. We have had so many episodes this season about the atrocious things done to people like us. And every time it takes me days to get it out of my head about how like we were only decades late to that nightmare, like actual decades, like just a blip of time. And like people wonder why politics are always on my mind. I could do a whole political podcast and not think twice about it. Uh, because I feel like we're like we're backsliding so fast into this shit and I can't stomach it. Like when you look around, I'm like, shit, that's happening around us. And like the bills that have been passed and the laws that are on the table. It's fucking crazy. It's absolutely fucking crazy to be like, are like we're worried about the government finding out that gay people exist again. Like this is a real thing that's happening. Yep. And why is it happening? No good fucking reason other than people are fucking stupid. Yep. Other than white supremacy, baby. And um, it just, it fucks me up. It fucks me up so much. Like, people deserve to live. Life is so fucking precious, and it's such a short commodity. Like, the idea that anyone spends their time wishing for our demise is the scariest shit. Like, go outside. Look at the full moon. <laughs> listen to, like, just, like, go in a restaurant and, like, listen to the people having dinner next to you. Like, don't eavesdrop, but just, like, be in the energy. Like. 
watch people who have like recently fell in love and look at their eyes when they look at each other. Like look at when the wind hits the trees. Like this world is so much bigger than us and so much cooler than us. Touch some grass, as they say. Touch some fucking grass. Yes. The fact that any of us are here and continue to be here is a scientific fucking miracle. Like it's like just like fucking Alan Turing was, dude. Like there people born with that brain are not around all the fucking time. And like because he was gay, <laughs> we could like he could he was only 42. Imagine what he could have done with 40 more years on this fucking planet. If you are a hater, which you're not because no one in our there's no one in our audience <laughs> that at least made it this far. <laughs> Truly. Like who, you know, is a hater. But if you are like take a fucking deep breath of sign no sorry take a deep breath and then enjoy your one trip on this planet and like just do you like it's the whole like policing other people is fucking wild to me and i i will never get behind it ever right right can't fucking hang also i forgot about this but my husband brought this up uh in stranger things the project that will does for like who his hero is he did alan turing Oh, hell yeah. I forgot about that, too. Yeah, so, like, when people were like, well, maybe he's not gay, I was like, dog. (laughs) (laughs) They literally were like, here's your crumbs, but then people don't know. People don't know about Alan Turing. People don't know about the shit that he did and the shit that they did to him. So, now you know, and sorry that, um, you know, your brain's probably worse. So, let's talk about something fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Let's talk about this planet. You know, because it's witchcraft time, baby. Let's get into it. Uh, This episode will be releasing on the summer solstice. Our planet is halfway around its road trip around the sun. Uh, It's also the winter solstice for our southern hemisphere oddlings. Uh, Congratulations. You're entering the best time of year. (laughs) Here in the Ohio Valley is fucking hot, dog. It's awful. It's the worst. Yeah. It's bad. I mean, it's been hot for a while, but we're finally like getting settled into this heat. And we just had like over a month long drought and that broke yesterday. (laughs) And um, I did go outside and just stand in the rain for a good five minutes just to feel it because I missed it so much. We really we went 33 days without rain. Not great. Not good for the environment. We did have a little bit of a sprinkling like a week ago. (laughs) You would have thought I went feral. Like, I just stood outside and was just, like, inhaling the, like, smell of the rocks outside of my house. Like, just, like, the deepest sniffs I could get. It was, it was bad. It was, was like, an addict. But I freaking love rain, dude. I love rain. Uh, And as a gardener, I love rain more and more every fucking year. You know, the smell, the sound, the, the feel. Sorry, I was writing this and I just got, like, really sad about the alan turing thing so i just had to like really deep dive <laughs> into the feeling of like hope for rain because <laughs> like my heart was hurting like researching and like getting this man's life story it was just a lot okay anyway back uh back to the witchcraft let me turn down the romanticism for a second so the pagan tradition of the summer solstice is called letha or litha depending where you are it's also known as midsummer which is also like a great movie <laughs> A good fun for her movie, you know? A great for her movie. For the Celts, the tradition is a huge bonfire, which you jump over for luck. I actually saw that in some places, the highest jump over the bonfire would be the prediction for how tall the crops got that year. 
Oh. Kind of fun. Other traditions include setting a huge wheel on fire. The wheel being the wheel of the year, of course. But it's kind of fun to think about. Just like lighting up a big old wooden wheel. Just watching that sucker burn. Kind of of satisfying. The Boston Library actually has an article on this uh, where they say that the summer solstice is the longest day of the year. And in some traditions, Letha is when a battle between light and dark takes place. In this battle, the Oak King and the Holly King battle for control. During each solstice, they battle for power and the balance shifts. So the Oak King, who represents daylight, rules from the winter solstice to Letha. So from Yule to Letha, basically. During this time, the days steadily get longer. However, during Letha, the Holly King wins this battle. He is victorious. And the days get steadily darker until Yule. So it's kind of nice for us. Because, um, you know, that means the sunsets are coming back. It's, the sun is out so late now. It's kind of wild. And I laid down last night at like nine and it was still light outside. Yeah, we did too. I think like it was like 930 and I like was like, what? what is going on? The sun, it really almost doesn't get dark here until 10, which for context in December, the sun goes down at 330. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot longer of a day. It's kind of fun to think about like giant celestials battling it out for control of the daylight. There is something that I love about old folklore in the sense of like they just didn't know what the sun or the moon was. I mean, they saw them, but like they didn't know that we rotated around the sun. You know, there was not like that wasn't part of the conversation. So the idea that like these giant beings were battling it out, it's like it's just kind of fun to think of how much easier they had it. (laughs) Right. Before they knew what the hell is going on out here? I have seen a lot of people um, on TikTok and Instagram preparing themselves for like kind of some longer meditations for the solstice, focusing on the battle of light and dark within them. Uh, you have two wolves, you know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a um, hungry one and an even hungrier one. Literally two. They're both hungry. One wants a Big Mac. One wants a pizza. Which one will you feed? Actually, both of mine just want tacos. It's a whole problem. <laughs> Um, I think there's an interesting conversation um, that we've been fed for years. And like, that's why I say like the you have two wolves thing, because I feel like most people know what that is. I mean, that meme, I feel like it's shared around pretty often. Um, if, if you don't know what it is, it's like you have two wolves, a white wolf and a dark wolf, and you have to choose which one that you want to feed to like be the power that's associated with you. Am I make it doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's like you're either going to feed your darkness or your light and make your decision. Yeah, basically. It's, it's really stupid. But I kind of think that it's interesting that we've been fed. We've been fed. <laughs> Where are the wolves that have been fed? Um, like, we've been fed this, like, bullshit of, like, you want to feed the light in you. You want to choose the light in you. Like, the dark also has, like, really intense power as well. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Yeah. You know, get into your reputation era if you need to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I just think I think it's a very interesting conversation. A lot of people talk about that. But like sometimes the dark the dark side of you is like the one that saves you. You know, if you've been through it, sometimes, you know, Uh, there are deities that are associated with the solstice that aren't just like the Holly King. That's just like the the major one. Uh, The Celts also had dedicated the celebration of the summer solstice to a Celtic goddess who went by many names. In Ireland, she was called Etienne. 
in that sounds like eighteen. Etienne or Etienne, e. but just like said yeah. differently. She was called Etienne. Uh, in France, she went by Eponia. And in Wales, she was Rihanna. And wouldn't you love to love her? Do you get that joke? Did you say Rihanna or Rihannan? Rihannan. Yes, I get your joke. Time. Uh, so listen to some Fleetwood Mac and have a good time at a bonfire. Uh, for those oddlings that are like me and have a huge love for rocks, the metaphysical rocks for Letha are carnelian, which has become a new favorite of mine. I actually picked it up for a Mabone ceremony last year, and it's the one I gravitate to frequently. I did find out that it's actually like a huge rock for Aries. So that'll show you how the universe works. Like it stumbled into my path and now I use it constantly. And uh, it's because of Aries, baby, you know, just Aries all over the fucking place. Other solar gemstones for Letha are citrine, amber and sunstone. All of these are going to be bringing that motivational energy to the altar. I will probably, uh, you know, be drawing like sun sigils everywhere with sidewalk chalk. If you consider that a rock. <laughs> I think that counts. I think so, too. Um, and I'll also be making sun tea, which is huge in the summer, of course. But on Letha, uh, that infusing that intense sun energy with your drink is just extra wonderful and extra powerful. And we all love that. Uh, I do recommend using glass with that instead of plastic. Uh, don't make mistakes like I have. Um, others like to wear yellow or orange to honor the sun, which I think is kind of fun. I unfortunately don't know if I own either of those colors, but it's, it's kind of cute to think about. Um, <laughs> I actually will spend the first night of the solstice in the Rocky Mountains, which I'm very fucking pumped for. And then I'll be home or coming home on the actual solstice. So I'm very excited for that because I will be like under the solstice moon on a mountain. And that is probably the coolest thing I could be doing. Um, mountains give me the same feeling as when I stand on the beach. And that feeling is we are nothing more than small beings surrounded by giants who know better than us. And I like that feeling. Some people don't want to feel that small. I like feeling that small. Maybe it's a height complex. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe for once you just need to be the smallest one. Because yeah, like just let me be like, yeah, just let me be a little tiny, you know? I'm just little. I'm just hanging out. I don't know nothing. This mountain's so old. It's great. Um, when it comes to these episodes, I typically give tarot recommendations uh, for those who partake. For this, I, I try to keep them smaller because I will be spending most of the time outside um, because it's, you know, the, it's going to be bright till like 1030. Um, but I will be doing a four card spread, uh, basically two questions for the light side and two questions for the dark side. There are people who do 10 card spreads. There are people who do two card spreads. It's all about whatever feels right for you. Um, for me, the two questions for the light side, I will be asking about what the sun is shining in me. It's important for me to take that into what is currently getting the light. Um, and the second question is, where should I be showing more warmth? This is the season of warmth that's going to get hot. And where should I be putting that energy? And for the shadow side, I will be asking what is in the shadows that I should accept? Like I said earlier, the conversation to me is very interesting. Dark doesn't always mean bad. So sometimes you got to look in there, you know. Um, and lastly, where are shadows being cast in me? This is also the season of long shadows. So what does that look like? Um, Eerie, my dear, will you be doing anything besides cursing the sun? <laughs> no, I don't do anything. Um, honestly, I feel absolutely the least witchy 
and during this season, like it almost everything turns sure. off for me. Um because I'm just miserable because it's too hot outside. Halloween decor hunting is I starting know, now. I saw that. So, Have you uh, gone to at home yet? Uh, yeah, I went one time and I haven't found anything yet. But uh so I'll be outside in the sun having a straight up bad fucking time. <laughs> so that's the one sun thing I'll be doing. But yeah, I don't do any rituals or anything. I just kind of live a mundane, normal life for the next few months because it kind of feels like everything's turned yeah. off for me. So. I get that. I think that for me with gardening, I get very lucky in the sense of like that's I basically my whole property is an altar on top of the one inside. So I have it for both seasons, which is nice. Uh, in both seasons, I mean hot season, cold season. I guess I mean all four seasons, but that's that's how it works, <laughs> you know. The two. Um, so for Letha Oddlings, I recommend planting an herb or maybe a bright flower, even if it's just in a planter on your balcony, or adding marigolds to your landscaping. Something for the pollinators and for your eyes. Um, and lastly, I recommend that you stay odd, Arcadia. <laughs>